whosoever receiveth such children receiveth me, and whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. Whosoever shall give a cup of water to drink in my name because you belong to Christ, verily I say unto you, he shall not lose his reward. And whosoever shall offend one of these little ones that believe in me, it is better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck and he were cast into the sea. If your hand offend you, cut it off. It is better for you to enter into life maimed than having two hands to go into hell, into the fire that shall never shall be quenched, where their worm dieth not and the fire is not quenched. Thy foot offend thee, cut it off. It is better for you to enter into life lame than having two feet to be cast into hell, into the fire that never shall be quenched. Where their worm dieth not, fire is not quenched. If your eye offend you, cut it out, pluck it out. Better for you to enter into the kingdom of God with one eye than to have two eyes to be cast into hell, fire. Where the worm dieth not, fire is not quenched. Everyone shall be salted with fire. Every sacrifice shall be salted with salt. Salt is good. But if the salt have lost its saltiness, wherewith will you season it? Have salt in yourselves, and have peace one with another. Our teacher, Dr. John G. Mitchell, was faithful in teaching the Word of God for more than 60 years throughout the Northwest. Our name, the Unchanging Word, reflects the fact that the eternal Word of God is never changed and never will. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Life begins at Calvary. There my Savior died. He took my place and by His grace came with me to abide. All I need for living is mine by just believing. Life begins at Calvary, life that never ends. In Mark chapter 9, we finish up this chapter with Jesus' own words. He continues his own instruction concerning maintaining peace amongst the believers. In saying this, our Lord speaks of rewards even for those who support the followers of Christ with just a cup of water. But Jesus also addresses the need to deal with a sin specifically aimed at little ones. And here Jesus speaks of the severe consequences upon those who cause one of these little ones who believe in Christ to stumble. Next, our Lord addresses the sin in one's own life. Now, by way of a form of speech called hyperbole, a figure of speech, Jesus uses exaggerated word pictures of severe actions towards one's own sin in the body. And these actions are not to be done literally. Jesus is emphasizing the need to seriously deal with personal sin. In Mark chapter 9, verse 42, here is Dr. Mitchell on the Unchanging Word Bible Broadcast. Good day, friends. You know, it's a good thing for us to sit down at least once a day and just discuss together the the wonderful heart of our Savior, the Lord Jesus. My, how he loved people. I can't get over that as I think of this gospel through Mark, of how he manifested himself as the servant of Jehovah, and yet his wonderful, wonderful love for people. You remember in chapter 9, we've been discussing together uh, the instructions of our Savior to his disciples concerning humility. And you remember how that Pride is one of the commonest sins of the human heart. Uh, it's all right to be ambitious, but the question is to be ambitious to be what? 
as Paul could say in 2 Corinthians 5, 9, being ambitious to be found pleasing to him. And then you have the Lord giving us an illustration of humility, for humility is a sign of greatness in the kingdom of God. He gave them an illustration in verses 36 to 37 concerning children. He took a child in his arms. You can just see that picture. And then with a child in his arms, he began to teach his disciples concerning these things. Oh, how wonderful the Lord understands people. You know, you know sometimes people become, come to the place where uh, they're so big and so high and mighty they wouldn't even look down on a little child outside their realm, but not with a Savior. He took a babe in his arms, and he said, unless you're just like this little baby, I tell you, whosoever shall receive one of these, such children in my name receiveth me, and so on. And then you have him rebuking sectarianism in verses 38 to 41. And how, how, how apropos that is today. We want God to work through our group, through our organization, through what we're doing. We forget. We forget God works through other people too. You see, we only know in part. We only prophesy in part. But when the Lord comes, he's going to make known to us all these various things. How easy it is. It was true in the Old Testament, true in the New Testament. Human hearts Unless they're transformed by the Spirit of God, they act the same. You know, Moses in the book of Numbers had that problem with, the, with his elders concerning some who prophesied, who, who weren't where they were, and so on. If God wants to use somebody else, you praise the Lord. People are getting saved through somebody else's ministry. You thank the Lord. And as our Lord said, he that is not against us is on our part. And then you have from verse 42 right on down through to verse the end of the chapter, really. We have our Lord also instructing his disciples concerning offenses. Now remember, he's been discussing humility. He took a child in his arms. And whosoever receiveth such children receiveth me. And whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. And then you remember... Uh, John was rebuked for his sectarianism, and the Lord continues, Whosoever shall give a, a cup of water to drink in my name because you belong to Christ, verily I say unto you, he shall not lose his reward. And whosoever shall offend one of these little ones that believe in me, it is better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck and he were cast into the sea. If you're right, If your hand offend you, cut it off. It is better for you to enter into life maimed than having two hands to go into hell, into the fire that shall never shall be quenched. Where their worm dieth not, and the fire is not quenched. If thy foot offend thee, cut it off. It is better for you to enter into life lame than having two feet to be cast into hell, into the fire that never shall be quenched. Where their worm dieth not, the fire is not quenched. Verse 47. If your eye offend you, cut it out, pluck it out. Better for you to enter into the kingdom of God with one eye than to have two eyes to be cast into hell fire. Where their worm dieth not, fire is not quenched. Notice three times he, man he, man he mentions this fact. These three things cast into hell fire, into Gehenna, where the worm dieth not, fire is not quenched. Then he adds this at the end of the chapter. 
49 and 50. For every one shall be salted with fire. Every sacrifice shall be salted with salt. Salt is good, but if the salt have lost his saltness, wherewith will ye season it? Have salt in yourselves and have peace one with another. Now we come to a very, very difficult, and I confess it, a very difficult portion of Scripture. Now remember the Lord is continuing in the same context. And yet look at the strong language the Savior uses. If your hand offends you, if your foot offends you, if your eye offends you, cut them off, rather than hindering people coming to Christ. Now, it might be well for me to, to suggest this. You'll notice there are three things he mentions, your hand and your foot and your eye. You do things with your hands, you go someplace with your feet, and with your eye you see things. Talking about life here. Then he gives you three, three parts of the judgment. You'll be cast into Gehenna, where the fire is never quenched, where the worm dieth not. And he adds, and where the fire is not quenched. Now, if you had been there, if you had been a Jew there, you would have understood in some way at least what the Lord was talking about. You see, just outside of Jerusalem is the valley of Gehenna. Now, this is the valley where the refuse of Jerusalem was burned. In other words, the, the valley was used for the purification of the city. Way back in the history of Israel, you'll find where Solomon offered, offered sacrifice to Moloch. Afterwards, it became the place where they offered their sons and daughters as living sacrifices to their gods. In our Lord's day, Gehenna was the place where the Valley of Gehenna was where all the refuse, I say, uh, of Jerusalem was taken outside the city. What for? For the purification of the city. So you keep this in mind. His judgment is a threefold judgment. And if I do anything to hinder people coming to the kingdom of God, it's far better to have your hand cut off, your foot cut off, your eyes cut up, plucked out. You say, Mr. Mitchell, I don't believe in such a thing. I don't believe that God would cast anybody into hell. God is a God of love. He wouldn't do that. Well, let me first of all say this. Remember, it was Jesus who is the personification of love, who said this. This wasn't said by Peter or Paul or John or anybody else. It was said by Jesus, who is the personification of love. And by the way, may I suggest this to you. If the Lord here is talking about the eternal condition of a person having rejected God's way or having offended God's people that cast into hell. Remember that when you come to Revelation chapter 20, death and hell are cast into the lake of fire and this is the second death. And now you may argue with me, want to discuss with me these things. Let me say this. 
Hell will be preferable to a person out of Christ than living in heaven. How can you come into the presence of a living, holy God with sin? My friend, you couldn't even stand the blazing glory of the eternal God unless you're covered with the righteousness of Christ, unless your sins have been put away, unless you're joined to his Son. I'm making it very simple, very explicit. I confess there are things in this passage that that are hard to understand, especially the last two verses. But let me, first of all, deal with this, this question. Far better for us to go into eternity maimed than to go into, into Gehenna or into hell or, if you please, into the lake of fire as the eternal judgment of God because you've hindered people coming to Christ or because you've repudiated the very work of Christ. It's a serious thing. And I repeat what I said. Hell would be heaven to the man unredeemed out of Christ. I don't think we Christians begin to realize the very character of God. God is absolute in holiness, absolute in righteousness. And if you and I stand before God in our sins, we'll not be able to stand. We will be happy, glad to get away from God rather than stand in his presence with sin. What I want to get to your heart is this, the terribleness, the awfulness of sin. Our Lord here is talking about the awfulness of giving offense to these little ones, to anyone who should believe or anyone who should belong to Christ. It's a very, very strong indictment to the unbelieving group of his day with a hardness of hearts, and the Lord uses very, very strong language. And by the way, may I say we need to do some of that today. When I think of the, of the looseness, and we, we have made God today as some mamby-pamby, soft, jellyfish sort of a God. As if we have to pull strings to have God to operate. Let me tell you, my friend, God is absolute in holiness. God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. And the impossibility of any man or woman or young person coming in the presence of a holy, righteous God in their sins, you'd be glad to get out of his presence. I say this kindly. And remember, it was this same Savior who was so full of tenderness and love and compassion for people in their need. Just read the first nine chapters of Mark. Where he cast out demons, where he healed the sick, where he raised the dead, where he fed the hungry, where he cleansed the lepers, and he met people in their need, doesn't matter what their need was. Yet he comes along with this tremendous indictment of those who give offense. I say this because I believe that we believers need to know something about it. I'm reminded, for example, in this question of giving offense, allow me to 
to do this for believers. The Apostle Paul could say in 1 Corinthians 9, at the end of the chapter, you remember he, he, he mentioned the fact, don't you know that they which run in a race run all, but one receiveth the prize, so run that you may obtain. Now they do it, said Paul, to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. I therefore so run, not as uncertain, so fight I, not as one that beateth the air, but I keep my body in subjection. Or as the literal says, I beat my body black and blue. So having preached to others, I myself will be disapproved. Not a question there of being cast out of God's presence. He's not talking about that. He has just said in the preceding verses, I am become all things to all men, if by any means I might save some. Don't you know that they which run in the race run all? One receiveth the prize. But they have to keep the rules of the game. Otherwise, you're disqualified. That's what Paul's talking about. I keep my body in subjection. Just as the runners did in the early Greek games and in the Roman games, they had to follow well-defined laws, discipline. Their bodies must be to the top of perfection when they ran. They didn't want any mediocre business. They wanted real men who could run, who, had, who for nine months had kept the month, had kept the laws, kept the rules of the game. And Paul says, I keep my body in subjection so that having preached to others how to walk before God, and if I don't, I shall be disapproved. And how many God's people may be disapproved. Now let's come down to the last two verses. A little practical work in this. Even here you've got a very, very difficult problem. Verse 49. Everyone shall be salted with fire. Every sacrifice shall be salted with salt. Salt is good. But if the salt have lost its saltiness, wherewith will you season it? Have salt in yourselves and have peace one with another. Now remember the background in this passage. He's been teaching humility. One trying to get ahead of the other. They were disputing among themselves who would be the greatest. Do you remember that? And then John forbade somebody who was casting out demons and he didn't follow them. And you have the teaching by with the illustration of a child in his arms. Now he goes on, he ends the passage with this strange situation, this strange, shall I say, statement. Everyone shall be salted with fire. Every sacrifice shall be salted with salt. Salt is good. But if it's lost its saltiness, it's no good. Have salt in yourselves. Have peace one with another. Now here are two things, fire and salt. Let me just suggest this. I know it's a difficult passage, but let me suggest this. Fire burns out dross. You will use fire to get rid of dross. Salt is something that preserves. Salt is a, is a preservative. Salt prevents corruption and, pre and preserves soundness. See. Now, as I said a moment ago, uh, have peace among yourselves, which they didn't have. 33 and 34, they were arguing. Who's going to be the greatest? This is the answer of the Savior. Have salt among yourselves. It'll prevent corruption. 
it will preserve soundness of life, of experience, and it will bring peace among yourselves. Fire will destroy that which is not wanted. Fire purifies. It burns out the dross. The salt preserves. Let me get these two things in your mind. Salt preserves. And remember way back in Matthew chapter 5, our Lord said, you are the salt of the earth. That is, as the, the Christians in the earth are holding back the forces of corruption. And whether you believe it or not, my friend, that's true. I'd like to ask you a question. What will happen in this world when God removes his people from this earth? What's going to happen? Corruption, antichrist reigning, all hell will be let loose. And I declare to you, my friend, I don't want to be one minute on the earth when that takes place. But when this purifying act of salt is active in the believer, he's not going to be ambitious to be somebody or to get somewhere. And he's not going to be jealous of other believers. And I'll tell you, when you have that, you're going to have peace. If all we Christians were, shall I say, free from ambitions to be somebody or to get somewhere, and of course these are the ambitions of the flesh, and if we're not jealous of other believers, oh Lord, deliver us from it. How, how easy it is for Christian workers to be jealous of other Christian workers. We wish he had his gift, and he wishes he had your gift. No, no, no. God's put everyone in the church as it has pleased him for a purpose to function for the glory of God. And when we Christians take our place with the Spirit of Christ controlling us, where fleshly and worldly ambition goes out the window, jealousy goes out the window, and remember that envy and jealousy is the rottenness of the bones, as you find in Proverbs. The result of such a thing is peace with each other. You see, you work together as a unit. No envy, no jealousy, no trying to get ahead of somebody else. You're all working what for? The glory of Christ. Ah, it brings peace. It prevents corruption. It preserves that soundness of life and of faith which we have in Christ. And by the way, may I say, when the Word of God is active in a believer's life, he encourages others. He'll encourage the weak ones. I want to tell you, Christian friends, today there's a great need for this. And for me to say glibly that the Christian is the salt of the earth, as our Lord said in Matthew 5, but if the salt isn't doing its job, wherewith shall things be seasoned? How can you keep out corruption without salt? He said, you are the salt of the earth. May God grant that you and I will so walk before God in the beauty of holiness, in fellowship with him, rejoicing when somebody else is used of the Lord, be freed from jealousy and envy, and filled with a passion to glorify the Savior who loves you with an everlasting love. Now, I've got to confess again, we've been dealing with a very difficult passage but I hope that these little lessons, these brief lessons and exhortations will grip your heart and grip my heart so that the Lord will be magnified in all that we are and in all that we do. Now may the Lord bless you today. 
for his precious name's sake. Lord, haste that day when my faith shall be Thank you for listening to the Unchanging Word Radio Bible Study today. Write to us with your comments and your prayer requests to the Unchanging Word, P.O. Box 398, Dallas, Oregon 97338. And so until next time, this is the Unchanging Word Radio Broadcast. Life begins at Calvary.